it's that for the Haudenosaunee women and for a lot of other indigenous women, we didn't have to be feminist because we already had the, you know, the equality the with men and, and not just power, but responsibility and balance. Like that's one thing I want to stress is that it's not that women were above the men in our culture. It's that we were in balance with the men. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview thoughtful, inspiring, and influential guests who are changing the way we think about what is possible in our lives, especially as we age. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow Zestful Ager, and I love to hear from you, my listeners. Please leave me a comment on ZestfulAging.com. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker, a guest on Zestful Aging. Her CD, Buffalo Motel, is out now, and you can find out more about her on Zest, on, sorry, on JudyBanker.com. Well, I've got my loyal little Jack Russell Sparky right by my side as usual, so let's begin. We have a really wonderful interview for you today. I'm going to be interviewing Gajijune Fox, and she is an award-winning filmmaker from the Aquasante, I hope I'm saying that right, Mohawk, Mohawk Territories in Northern New York. And her latest project is a film called Without a Whisper, and it's about women's roles, specifically uh, for the Haudenosaunee. And uh, we're going to find out what's looking at women's roles can teach us about the world. Welcome to the show. Sego, Nicole. Oh, sorry for all of that botching of pronunciation. You did pretty good. <laughs> so you have been a filmmaker for many years. You've won awards. You did a film actually about smoking, I saw. And now why a film about indigenous women? My last film was also about Indigenous women. I think that's kind of my my focus in the, the work that I do is empowering the, the voices and the stories of Indigenous women because I feel that they're really important. There's a lot of the wisdom in Indigenous women's voice. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about why the women have so much wisdom. Well, for us specifically, like I am... Um, I live in Akwesasne Mohawk Nation territory, and we're part of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. So for for our people, and there's many different nations, you know, it's it's one it's one thing that I wanted to point out too is not that we don't want to clump us all together as just Native American because we all have our own traditions and languages and you know government systems, and we're all a little bit different. And for mm -hmm. us specifically, the Haudenosaunee people, we come from a matrilineal society. So a lot of the things that we do, you know, our, our government system, the way that we choose leaders, how we receive our clans and our names, all of those things go through the women's line. Mm -hmm. so, and what makes that, how does that impact uh, the experience of growing up in that clan? Well, How you, is it different? When you think about it, you know, like if, if you grow up that way, like in your, in a, for us, our creation story, it begins with a woman. So a woman's the one that, that made the earth and 
created the things that are here along with her sons that she had later. And then our women are the ones that's where we get our clans from. That's where we get our names from. So if, we're, if you're naturally in that kind of culture, I think that it makes you think a lot differently. Tell me, tell me what you think someone might notice looking from the outside. Um, it, it's, it's very different to have a, a matriarch in that kind of society. Is there something that would strike someone immediately, how it's different? Well, I'm a teacher and I, I've been teaching for 20 years and I teach about culture to the students. And when I talk about the differences between like Haudenosaunee culture and Western culture, you look immediately, you think about the names, right? Like where, where do we get our last names from? They come from our father. And then for us, we never had last names. We always had clans and those came from our mothers. And we've adopted, you know, having last names just, you know, in our recent history. Um, so that's, that's one difference. And then you, you look at like what's going on in the world today. And for us, we still have our, you know, traditional leaders. We have clan mothers and we have chiefs and they have equal footing. And it's actually the clan mothers that choose the chiefs that are going to be in the positions. So you can kind of imagine like today, if you looked at the U.S. government system, if they did things that way, it would be a lot different. What what would we notice first? What would change immediately if we said, let's completely change the system, very male model, and we're going to do it more like your clan? What, what would happen first? Well, the clan mothers are responsible for choosing the leaders. But when you think about it, the, the clan mothers are the ones that are raising those leaders. They're the mothers. They're the grandmothers. And they're the ones that are watching those children as they're growing and they're looking for the ones that are going to be generous, the ones that are going to be caring for the environment, the ones that are going to be able to, to mediate and be fair. So it makes sense that the women are the ones that, that choose and raise those leaders. So it, there's certain qualities and characteristics that the women are looking for in order to choose us a, a man a boy or a man to have power they have to have certain qu human characteristics yeah and it's a, and for us it, i know my, earlier you mentioned like us being a matriarchy but it's not really a matriarchy that's more like of a like a queen or something mm -hmm. for us we had a matrilineal society mm -hmm. so everything went through the women but there was there was equality with the men and the women, like a balance of the men and the women. And it wasn't, it wasn't really about the power. It's about the responsibility of, of having that kind of leadership role. Like those chiefs are always keeping in mind the future generations when they're making decisions for the people. Long-term Long -term. kind of, uh, instead of what's going to happen right now to make us the most money. That's right. So they're thinking, they think seven generations ahead. Oh my goodness. When they make their decisions. So when we make this decision about this river, or when we make decisions about building whatever we're going to build here, we're thinking about how is that going to impact the future generations that, that aren't even here yet. Mm-hmm. Very, very different perspective. Mm -hmm. And how is it for you to go back and forth uh, between the worlds? 
Well, you, you kind of, you have to adapt, adopt to, you know, adapt to what's going on around you. Like for myself, I come from a traditional family, like that's how I was raised. And we're fortunate here, like in Haudenosaunee communities that we still have our ceremonies and we're still, you know, holding on to our language. And a lot of other nations have lost those things. So we're fortunate in that. But I, I also have to participate in the Western world. You know, I've gone to, I've gone to school, I'm now a teacher and I'm, I'm teaching our, you know, the young people about their culture, about their language and some of those things that were taken away from them. Mm-hmm. What, and what school do you teach at? I teach at Salmon River Central School. It's a public school. Mm-hmm. And it has a very high population of Native students where I see. we have like 65 or 70% Native students. Mm-hmm. So and are would you say that they're generally interested in learning about what you're teaching? I, yeah, I teach a variety of classes there. I teach a Native Studies class. I teach Native Film, which is really interesting. Mm-hmm. And I also teach a Traditional Arts class. And I've done language classes. So... Yeah, there's there's interest in it, and I kind of work throughout the district with the students. Wow, that's really, that sounds very enriching. So talk about Sally and Louise and how you met them and what, what role they they play in your upcoming film. Well, Louise is a, a clan mother here in Akwazasne. She's a bear clan mother, and I've known her the majority of my life, our, our kids used to go to school together at the Akwazasne Freedom School, which is a Mohawk immersion school here, um, where they learn everything in the language. So I've known her a really long time, and I am Bear Clan myself. So she's our she's a Bear Clan mother. So mm-hmm. we I see her at a lot of um, I see her at ceremonies. I've worked with her for our rites of passage that we have for the young girls and young boys. I've worked for her, with her for years on that. Um, she's a good friend of mine. And then Sally, Sally, I've met well over 10 years ago. And I actually heard her speak somewhere and she was talking about this topic that my, my film is about. And she had did a book called um, Sisters in Spirit. Mm-hmm. And in that book, she talked about how Haudenosaunee women influenced the, the early feminists. Mm-hmm. And, and she talked about like specifically you know, how close we live to a lot of the, the reform movements that were going on in New York State were right in, you know, Haudenosaunee territories. And it was really interesting. So I think since the first time I heard her talk about that book, that, that idea, you know, was in my head that I wanted to do something more with that. And just a few years ago, I started working on the film. And so you invited her to be in the film? Yeah. And, uh-huh. Was she receptive? Was yeah, she interested? Yeah, she was very receptive. She's a professor, is that right? Yeah, she was. She's actually, she's a really cool lady. She's um, one of the first, one of the first women ever to get a doctorate in women's studies. Mm-hmm. Um, she used to be an activist in the 60s. Uh, she teaches a class at um, Syracuse University on activism. Uh-huh. Um, and I think she she was telling me she actually uses her FBI file in the class. <gasps> oh my goodness! Because they have a file on her yeah, as an act. Yeah. Oh, she's a she's a strong woman. She is. So you follow her and um, Louise, and you follow Louise and. 
I I saw in your clip that they're doing some presentations, and Gloria Steinem is there. Mm-hmm. And was that in New York City? Yeah, that was at um, the New House in uh, New York City. Uh huh. Uh huh. And what are you trying? What's your What's your message here in this film? Well, the the film follows Sally and Louise and their friends, and it's it's about un- uncovering this this hidden history that that no one really knows about. So everybody, when you talk about women's rights, and even about suffrage, everybody thinks of well, who do you think of? Like I'll ask you, who do you think of? When right, you- right. So we would talk about you know. Uh, Elizabeth Cady Stanton and and these women um, in Seneca Falls, mm-hmm. and I see that they <laughs> were corrected immediately, and that this has been going on for actually is it a thousand years? Yeah, what it what it talks about is that like for Haudenosaunee women, we've always had political power and responsibility. So, and same with a lot of the other nations across Turtle Island have have had, you know, political authority long before anybody else came to this land. So the women's the women that came here, the European women, didn't have any kind of political power. Um, in fact, when they would get married, they would lose all of their possessions would belong to their husband, even their kids. Mm-hmm. They had they had no say in government, they couldn't vote, they couldn't hold office. So, and of course, the irony is, as European women, they're coming over and and looking at the natives, mm-hmm. saying, you know, they're not evolved, you know, whatever they said. But the belief was they were quite sophisticated and evolved. Well, when you think about it, you look at the the, the Haudenosaunee women and other Indigenous women as well. I mean, we had we had political power. We were choosing our leaders. We had economic power because it was usually the women that, especially for us, it was the women that were the ones that were planting the gardens. And that was kind of our economy was the gardens. We had um, also power in our, in religion and ceremonies. We, we had equal footing with the men and responsibilities with putting different parts of the ceremonies through and then socially as well. So in, in every aspect of life, we were, equal to the men and balance with the men, which was much different than the European women that came over here. And quite advanced, I would I yeah. would imagine. Are you is that something you feel proud about that you're part of this lineage of women who are so strong and capable? Yeah. And I, I think it's like so important to me, especially because I am teaching a lot of our young Indigenous women in my classes and our young Indigenous men. And I, this is something that they don't hear about very often in their curriculum. Like they don't, they don't hear about the influence of, of our women on the women's rights movement. And mm-hmm. sometimes they don't even hear about how we influence the government system, like the democracy of the United States, the government system of the United States is kind of based off of the Haudenosaunee government system. And that's another thing that's not well known. Right, and I was, actually, there was a really interesting special about the Onondagas and some of their contribution to democracy. Yeah, that's where we come from. The the Onondagas are 
part of the Haudenosaunee Confederacy. So there's the Mohawks, the Oneidas, the Onondagas, the Cayugas, the Senecas, and then mm-hmm. later the Tuscaroras. So mm-hmm. we make up that Haudenosaunee Confederacy, and it was I our see. system that Benjamin Franklin and some of the early founding fathers looked at when they were forming their government. And what do you notice, particularly with the, the girls and the young women that you teach and, and you are able to show them, this is what we contributed. This was our idea to begin with. How do they receive that? I think they're really surprised, some of them, because most a lot of the, the students that I have, a lot of them don't come from traditional families or maybe they don't, they don't know about that kind of history. So when they hear it, they're usually surprised by it, and it, it makes them proud to know that. Mm-hmm. I would imagine that they they have a certain pride in knowing the truth about how you know their ancestors had such a positive contribution on our our country. Mm-hmm. That's quite amazing. I think it's uh, something that people all over the country and all over the world should have access to, and I think. For most indigenous peoples around the world, that's an issue. Who's writing the history? Aha, of course. Yes, and who, it's like whose agenda is getting put forward. That's right. Uh huh. Talk a little bit, you mentioned before we went on that you are going to take a really special trip very soon. Oh, yeah. Next month, I am going to New Zealand. Um, We're going to be doing a cultural exchange there with the Maori people. So I'm pretty excited about that. Some of our, um, some of the women from here um, that I sing with sometimes, the Akwazasne women singers, uh, we're gonna be going there and sharing songs and sharing stories and sharing our culture with the, the indigenous people in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been to New Zealand? No, I have not, and I am super excited. Oh my goodness. So you're gonna go over with some, um, of your women friends, yeah, uh, from the here. singers. Uh-huh. What do you imagine it's going to be like to do this? I think like there's, it seems like, because I do a lot of traveling myself to other indigenous communities, and there's there's always like a connection, even though like cultures and language may be different. I think mm-hmm. there's always a connection because most indigenous people are really connected to the land mm-hmm. and to their spirituality. And so like when you meet other indigenous people, there's usually that, that connection. So I'm looking forward to, to learning more about, you know, what, what their practices are there and what kind of foods they have and, mm-hmm. you know, what are their, how do they, they um, respect the environment and how do they ceremony with the waters and everything that's around there. So mm-hmm. that sounds so powerful. Mm-hmm. You wanted to talk about the crew involved with your film. What is special about the crew? Well, I have a lot of um, women involved with all the work that I do, like my last film as well. My last film was um, Ohologo Under the Husk. Mm-hmm. And it was it was about our uh, bringing our rites of passage ceremony back to our community. And it followed two young women um, through their journey of doing that. And that one too, I also had a lot of um, women that were uh, helping with the filming and the editing and, you know, the whole process. And these are people that um, 
you've been able to find actually in your clan or do you have to go outside of the clan to find women? Oh, both, both. Mm -hmm. Like um, some of the people that I have involved with this film, like the associate producer, uh, Soji Rio, she's from my community here. Animation, I actually have animation in this film and Marion Delarand is a Mohawk animator from Ganawage, which is a sister community. So she helped with the animation. Um, for the music, Bear Fox, who is my sister-in-law, and actually one of the ones that's going to be going on this trip to New Zealand. Mm -hmm. Some of her music and the Akwesasne women singers, as well as Jennifer Kreisberg, who is Tuscarora. So we have like, you know, native music in it. Mm -hmm. And then my cinematographer who worked with me for this film through the whole thing, her name is Marie Dietlin, and she's from Montreal. She's French. And then my my creative producer, her name is Katja Esson, and she's a German filmmaker. That's a friend of mine that's been really helping me out, you know, through this whole process. And my editor is from New Jersey. Her name is uh, Amina Magelli. And where do you find these women? They're from all over. They are. Do, how, how do you how do you find them and choose them? Well, it, it, like Katja, my my creative producer, she found me, the editor. Uh, my cinematographer got recommended from another friend of mine from Montreal. So it's kind of like that. Like you you know somebody and then you ask somebody else and they'll recommend somebody. And then you so, work with them and see if it's a, it's a good fit. Uh, I see. So you didn't go on social media and ask for people to fill these roles. It was word of mouth. Yeah. And you travel a lot. So that really helps your network. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm curious about what you're hoping people will learn when they when your film is done and when and when they watch this. What are you hoping that people will take away? What I'm hoping is that maybe ten years down the road, or maybe even sooner, that it'll be common knowledge that Haudenosaunee women influenced the women's rights movement. Mm -hmm. That it, that it, set the, you kind of want to set the record straight here. Yeah, I want it, I want it to be something that, that people, they hear it and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, you know, they, they know a different kind of history after watching the film. Mm -hmm. It's like getting, having your clan be recognized for, for what it deserves. Yeah, for our people. Yeah, for the Haudenosaunee people to do that. For the people. And I think, um, I think mm -hmm. if, if they're the artists, the filmmakers, the storytellers, our wisdom keepers, if we're if we're not doing those kind of things, then we're doing an injustice to our young people that are coming behind us. Mm -hmm. We need to we need to pave those roads for them. We need to set the record straight, like you said, so that you know when they grow up, maybe they'll they'll hear something different. You're trying to leave a legacy for your your young people. Yeah, that's what we, we all should be doing. Uh-huh. And um, so one example might be that the textbooks are changed. That would be great. Mm. <laughs> I mean, I'm a, I'm a teacher. I teach. I've been teaching for like 20 years. And sometimes I, I still read, you know, history in the books today. And I, I'm just appalled by it. Like Christopher Columbus came over and it was so joyous yeah. and lovely and everybody loved each other and shared and yeah, that must be a little hard to take. It is like even um, just recently 
we changed our, you know, Columbus Day, I think maybe five years ago, we changed it to Indigenous Peoples Day. Mm-hmm. And a lot of um, schools and are changing that as well. Mm-hmm. And do you get pushback? Do you get uh, people you're aware of saying, no, no, don't change it. It's I, I, I want it the old way. I think with, with the Indigenous Peoples Day, um, with, with our school board that we have, they, they voted to, to put it through and we didn't really mm-hmm. get a pushback on it. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. It, it depends on, you know, how informed people are, you know, and how open they are to, to hear everybody's history and not just one. Do you feel like as a nation, we're starting to have a greater appreciation for Indigenous people or... Or do you feel as though we're still pretty blind to that? I, I think that like even my myself, even when I travel to some places, like people still ask me questions like, do you live in a teepee? Or, mm-hmm. or I can't believe that Native people are still alive. You know, some people think mm-hmm. that we're, we're dead and gone because that's what the history books portray as us in the past and not so much us in the present. So there always, there's always more work that can be done. And how is that for you just as a as a human being to hear? I mean, that is so, uh, I don't even know what the words are. I mean, the ignorance and just the insensitivity are really hard to imagine. How do you handle that kind of question? I, I think because because I'm an educator, I kind of look at it from that point of view, like they don't know. So maybe you can offer a little education on the topic. I know like I also am the advisor for our Mohawk club at the school and over the years we've even gone to like we do cultural presentations sometimes in schools outside that have like non-native populations and and that's where we'll get questions like that and these are just neighboring towns sometimes that don't know so I think that helps to do things like that when you can Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does it take a lot of energy for you to always be an educator? I don't know. I think like our people, like the, the teachings that I was brought up with is that everybody's put here on the earth with something to, to give back. And I don't know, I think that's always kind of been in me to do that. So I just mm-hmm. feel a responsibility to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can. I, I can see how that might drive you that might be a motivator for you you want to talk a little bit about feminism and and your view on that well it's interesting in the movie louise talks about that so louise talks about how her she talks about her grandmother in particular and she says my grandmother would say we're not feminists we're the law Mm, i saw that that was such a beautiful moment and and what she's what she means by it, it's not meant to be like uh, oh women are are all that or whatever but it's <laughs> it's that for the Haudenosaunee women and for a lot of other indigenous women we didn't have to be feminist because we already had the you know the equality the power. with men. Yeah, you already had the power. And and not just power but responsibility and mm-hmm. balance. Like that's mm-hmm. one thing I want to stress is that it's not that women were above the men in our culture. It's that we were in balance with the men. I see. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how is that in your relationships? I mean, do you take that 
when you meet people, is that part of your sense of yourself that you are in balance when you're dealing with men, not only uh, Native men, but, you know, non-Native people? What is that like for you, for example, if you have someone who might be treating you traditionally like, you know, you're a woman and maybe you don't know this and maybe you don't know that. And perhaps they're chauvinistic. How how does how do you relate to that? I think that you you have to you have to use your voice. I don't know, because I was brought up, you know, in the tradition that I was brought up, I I never thought of myself as a woman as somebody that can't do something. I kind of thought the opposite way. So you, you got to just push through, you know, that kind of, I guess, ignorance or people lacking understanding, I guess, of, you know, the, the force of women. It sounds like you do a really good job not taking this personally. Oh, it doesn't do you any good <laughs> to take mm. it personally. Mm-hmm. You look at it sometimes, it sounds like, is that's just they don't understand or they don't know. Mm-hmm. And um, you are currently raising funds for your film, is that right? Yeah, well, we did a um, we did a GoFundMe just not too long ago. We're just trying to raise the, you know, a little bit more funds to finish the film. Mm-hmm. And we're really close. We're at the last edit, so we're almost done with the film. We want to have it done by March. And we actually wow. already have some um, screenings lined up, some community screenings at different places. Um, we're going to be screening at uh, the Seneca Cultural Center, Ganadagon, mm-hmm. which is by Rochester, New York. And that's going to be in May. And then in April, we're going to be screening in Texas this program called MAP 2020, which is on the suffrage, you know, it's on the suffrage movement because... Oh. 2020 is actually the 100th year anniversary of American women getting the right to vote. And, you know, I see. So that's why the film is so timely right now to tell this story, because now is the 100th anniversary of women's right to vote. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And will it be shown at Syracuse University? We, we want to do screenings like I want to focus a lot on uh you know, universities and colleges to do screenings. Mm-hmm. Um, the film, I should have mentioned this a long time ago, the film was funded by a Vision Maker Media mm-hmm. and they fund native films and they get their funding from the Corporation of Public Broadcasting. Ah. So my last film, Under the Husk, um, was also funded through them and it did come on PBS on, you know, different stations. I think it's still playing this year because they have rights to it for four years to play it on PBS. And the ah. same with this film. So hopefully this one will also, you know, be on PBS. And usually it's in November that it comes on. Mm-hmm. And we're also just starting to submit to film festivals. So usually the film will go to film festivals for like a year. And, and we'll More do More traveling for you. What's that? More traveling More for traveling, you. More <laughs> traveling, that's right. <laughs> and it's okay. I mean, how do you take this time off when you're a full-time teacher? It, it's like doing two jobs, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a lot. That's a but lot. But there's also, you know, Louise and Sally are both. Um, they're able to also speak on the film's behalf too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and that clip shows them in New York and talking about um, their friendship mm-hmm. and 
and that, yeah, some of those, uh, it was interesting to see Gloria Steinem there. Yeah. And where can people find out more about you and more about the film? I have a website uh, for the okay. film. It's uh, withoutawhisperfilm.com. Mm-hmm. And if you want to, if anybody wants to inquire about screenings or anything like that, mm-hmm. they can go on there. And I also have information later on to talk about distribution. Mm-hmm. My other mm-hmm. film um, also has a website. It's um, underthehuskfilm.com. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. And we also have social media. So we're also on Instagram and Facebook. So you just got to look up Without a Whisper and you'll find us. Okay, I will certainly do that. And would you encourage our audience to go to uh, GoFundMe? Is that can can they find yeah, that on you your can website? Still do that. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's on the Facebook site without a whisper. The link for that. Okay, that'd be great. I'll, I'll be sure to do that. Anything else you'd like to add? Uh, anything I haven't asked you, which you which you'd like to comment on uh, or remark on before we end? I'm just I'm really thankful for the for Sally and for Louise for um, helping me share this story through their friendship. And for also, there was a few other people that are involved in the film, um, Dr. Lori Quigley from the Seneca Nation and Peter Jemison from the Seneca Nation. They're also interviewed in the film. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to, to acknowledge them and, and for my family too, for supporting me because it takes a lot of time to make a film. It sure, I can only imagine. Yeah. It takes time and energy mm-hmm. and funds. I mean, from what I've heard from other people who make film, it's, you know, your whole life goes on hold. It does. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, I so appreciate you giving us a glimpse into, you know, your the world um, that you live in and your history and the, and the beautiful legacy um, it, it's really inspiring and it makes me feel hopeful that maybe we can all learn more about it and, and follow that the way things are understood mm-hmm. and, and, and run both environmentally and both just appreciating what we need to do to look in the future before we make decisions that are going to be with us for a long, long time. That's right. Mm-hmm. And I want to I want to thank you. I want to say nyawa to you for inviting me to speak with you on this podcast. And I want to send greetings to all the women around the world. So mm-hmm. I'm glad I was able to spend some time with you. Yeah, thanks for having Bye-bye. me. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. In this phase of our lives, we're more aware that our time is precious, and we certainly don't want to waste it taking care of stuff that we no longer need, left over from a life that we are no longer living. We know we would feel better with less clutter and more open space, but we don't know how to get there. If this sounds familiar, I'd love you to check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer, Carrie Luteran. This course is different than others you may have tried because we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and tools to help you face the overwhelm and 
feelings that come up when you're going through your clutter. It's practical and realistic, and the lessons are short and punchy and very manageable, but it has the power to change your life. We all deserve to live in a peaceful home without the chaos of too much stuff. Find out more at NicoleChristina.com. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.